When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the New Report or Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. the great Al from White Plains. And this is the inaugural episode of the New Report or Old Report. Here on Monday, June 25th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. Well, Al, it's great to be sharing a microphone and sharing a show with you. The pleasure is all mine. And thank you for doing this. Hopefully we can have some fun. John, it's good to be back with you. We have had a lot. This transpired since uh, we were last together. Uh, obviously, NBA Finals front and center. Uh, as always, uh, LeBron, the center of attention as we head towards yet another summer of LeBron uh, with the NBA draft that uh, we just had this past week. Uh, we get close to the All-Star break. Uh, trade talk already heating up with a lot of big-time free agents uh, on the block. Manny Machado leading the uh, the rumor mill. So uh, a lot to, lot, lots transpired since we were last together, and a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah, even though we're in a slower time in sports radio, we, the both of us, haven't had the opportunity to dive into some of the major things that have happened. And as you mentioned, the NBA Finals, the end result of that was the biggest storyline a couple of weeks ago. And of course, the NBA Draft and the waves that have happened from that. I guess we should start, though, by maybe introducing ourselves to the listeners, giving a brief bio, a brief resume of sorts to let them know some of our personality, some of our favorite teams. I guess I could use the the age before beauty mantra and have you go first. Is that how we should do this? <laughs> That's going to put me first pretty much with every partner I'm ever going to have at this stage of my life. Uh, you know, as, as a lot of the listeners may know, uh, I have been over the years... Uh, a frequent caller first and foremost to, to WFAN uh, from really the beginnings of WFAN through the many years of uh, the infamous, I should say the famous Mike and the Mad Dog show. Um, and obviously Mr. Frances has returned to the airwaves. Uh, and then over the years uh, since Chris Russo went off to a Sirius XM, I've called his station as well as others. I've done some, uh, some shows of my own. Uh, with a couple of callers, uh, Dennis from Yonkers and Mike from Montclair. We've been on uh, a couple different outlets as the Three Wise Men, both on radio and TV. Uh, in real life, I'm a real estate attorney here in White Plains. Uh, that's the moniker Al from White Plains. Uh, and obviously, you know, a, a lifelong sports fanatic. Why else would I be doing this? So we've got the Syracuse alum status from your collegiate days, so always have that as a place in your heart talking sports. What are your favorite teams as well, just to let the listeners know? Well, obviously, Q's tops the list, so I always bleed orange. My first year was Coach Beheim's first year, so that's how old I am. The Dome wasn't even there uh, when I started. It was built my, uh, the beginnings of it was built my senior year. Uh, lifelong Laker fan to the days of back in the days of uh, the greatest duo of all time, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, always finishing second to the Celtics, a lifelong Cardinal fan from the mid sixties and a transplanted uh, old time Browns fan who, unlike most when they left for Baltimore, I left with them 
because I thought the city of Cleveland screwed Art Modell, forced him to leave. So I followed my players and uh, left those team colors and name and city behind. So we've got diversity is what we're coming down to. I would like to think so. People always say to me, how'd you, how'd you, you know, wind up with all those different teams? And the aspect of that or the explanation for that is because I'm from upstate New York. I'm from a suburb of Rochester where there are new major league teams. And, uh, you know, you didn't have, as most downstaters, uh, you know, are familiar with Channel 9, Channel 11, Channel 5, where you got the Met games or the Yankee games, you know, or a lot of giant talk. And back in those days, when I was growing up, because I'm so old, it's back in the time frame when the great Yankee dynasty had just ended. The Mets were still in their infancy and hideous because it was pre-1969. And the New York football giants had just fallen apart. So all you ever got uh, on what I got, which was the major networks, NBC, uh, Game of the Week, uh, ABC, NBA, and then, of course, you had the AFL and the NFL on NBC and CBS, respectively, is you got the big teams. Uh, You got the Dodgers, you got the Giants, you got the Cardinals, you got uh, the Pirates, the Red Sox, all the teams that were playing well. You never got to the Yankees were never on. Because they were awful. The Mets were never on because they were awful. When they give you a game of the week, they wanted to give you a competitive game. So those were the teams that you got. As a result, you know, I, I fell in love with National League Baseball and the way the Cardinals played it with Lou Brock and Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood. Basketball, you know, I, I love Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. And you know, I was rooting against the tidal wave of the Celtics. Uh, they became the most hated franchise in life as far as I was concerned. Football. First guy I remember seeing was Jimmy Brown and 12, 15 guys trying to tackle. So I said, I'm rooting for this guy. And that's pretty much the, the way it worked and the way it's been ever since. See, I have a more front-running resume. <laughs> but what I pride myself on is I've been a front-runner, but I've kept being that front-runner since well, I started. Well, b- before you make it sound like you, know, uh, you are and I'm not, remember at this point in time, the, the first season I remember was 65. The Browns were the defending champs. I don't have any recollection of the 64 championship game. So you could argue that I am too, because the Browns were, were the defending champs. The Cardinals won the title in 67. And although the Lakers weren't the champs, they were the perennial runner-up. So it's not exactly like I was bottom feet. Uh, so don't make it sound like you're alone in that scenario. Well, there's, there's one team on the list that I'm perfectly fine with and I don't consider myself a front runner with, and that's with the New York Yankees because my father is a huge Yankees fan. My whole family really is a Yankees fan. That was the team that I grew up watching, and the first season that I really was old enough at five and six to understand baseball, to really follow the team, they happened to win the World Series in 1996. And I thought, wow, this was the best team ever. What a great thing to be a part of. And then, of course, they go on to win three or four. And you think that you've made the best decision in your life. And sports is easy. And championships come easy. And everything is going to be okay as a Yankees fan. You, of course, grow older and have heartbreaks and don't win every year and then become more of a well-balanced New York Yankees fan. But that's the team that, if I had to pick, is the one that's not more front-running. Because the other ones that I'll name seemingly are, and I'm also a Los Angeles Lakers fan, I was a Bulls fan when I first started watching basketball, but realized as I grew older, I was really a Michael Jordan fan for those years, as were 
80% so of kids growing up at that time watching basketball. There was something about MJ, as we all know, that you couldn't draw your eyes away from, and everybody likes a winner. And at that time, he's the best player in the world. Why wouldn't you want to root for him when he Still left? Is. Still is. Still is. Was, is, and always will. Right. And unfortunately, I wish I was older to appreciate it more. When you're eight years old watching him make the shot against Brian Russell, you don't remember it as well as you might if you're a little bit older than that. And when he left the Bulls for what would be the second time, I remember ripping my posters off the wall, throwing my jersey into the hallway of my house, being incredibly disappointed, not realizing what the situation was, not appreciating what it was being so young. But from there, I jumped to the Lakers because of Shaquille O'Neal and him being a bigger guy. I was tall at the time. I thought this man is the most dominant player in the NBA. The Lakers were a winning team. They had historically been great and I thought, hey, here's a good team to jump onto. And you mentioned the best duo in NBA history for you. The best duo in my history was, of course, Shaq and Kobe. And I thought I had made the best decision in the world. Now, I have stuck with them, obviously, and there haven't been great seasons of late. But that is a front-running team. I'm also a front-runner for Duke basketball because I started watching college basketball the year that Jay Williams and Shane Battier and Mike Dunleavy and Coach K won the title in 2001. Why wouldn't I want to root for this team? Coach K, what a legacy he has. And, and here we are with Duke. The same goes for the Broncos. I turn on football. I become immersed in football at a young age of eight and nine. And here's this John Elway going to win his first Super Bowl. And I'll tell you, had Brett Favre beaten John Elway in the Super Bowl with his Green Bay Packers, perhaps I would have jumped on the Packers bandwagon. And that wouldn't have been a bad decision either with what they've been able to do with Aaron Rodgers. But I hung with Denver. They won again the next year. I thought, again, the greatest sports decision you could ever make. But at the time, what an asshole. Just picking all the winners. And I've, and, and I've remember, stayed with remember, them, of course, but still. Remember, that was a, a relatively, you know, not in the, in the scheme of things in terms of the largest Super Bowl upset of all time. But that, that, was, that was quite an upset. You know, the Packers were defending champions. The, the Broncos still hadn't won yet, even though they had a really good season. You know, they're already lost uh, four Super Bowls. And everybody's thinking, you know, L -L is Elway ever going to win one? He's on the downside of his career. Favre is finally uh, a champion. Now he's going back for a second time. More mature. Uh, ready to be a repeat Super Bowl winner. And you know, Denver... Took it away from him, and uh, as I'm sure you remember, the last drive, the last possession, uh, you know, everybody is pretty much thinking that Favre's going to take him down the field uh, and be a repeat Super Bowl champion, and they really never got close. Uh, my memory's not what it used to be, but I don't think they crossed midfield on that last drive when that fourth down pass fell incomplete. And, uh, you know, Elway ran it out, and then they went two in a row, and he basically becomes, you know, I don't want to say goes from goat to hero, but, you know, goes from you know, 0 for 3 in Super Bowls, never going to win the big one, to becoming a, a, literally a living legend and wins the next one the, the next year and retires, which is the way to go out uh, in a route of Atlanta, uh, which to me is always going to be the greatest Super Bowl that we never saw. Because I, I thought that uh, Denver is the defending champs and had a great season back to repeat. Uh, that great Minnesota team with Randall Cunningham uh, gets upset in the conference championship when Gary Anderson 
misses the only kick he missed all year that would have given them a 10-point lead. Uh, Atlanta ties it because it's only a seven-point lead, wins it in overtime. And instead of what I thought would have been a Super Bowl for the ages, uh, Denver looking to repeat against Minnesota yet again, going for their first Super Bowl win against arguably the greatest offense for one season that any team has ever had. Uh, then came those Ram teams, the greatest show on turf, but an incredible offensive team with a young Randy Moss, uh, you know, and Hall of Famer Chris Carter, Robert Smith, Jake Reed, Randall Cunningham at the helm. We never get to see that game. Instead, we get to see Atlanta, and they get totally dismantled uh, by Denver. So I, th- that was always a disappointment for me because I thought that would have been a great game. Those are the teams that I root for. I follow the Yankees probably harder than most of the other teams. There's something about baseball for me, the, the grind of it all, the intricacy of it all, playing it as a kid, playing it in high school that keeps me a little bit more up with that type of team and with the game and the sports. So I would definitely say that's number one if I had to rank. And it's, it's harder now just being able to really fall in love, quote unquote, with other teams and other sports, just with free agency, especially with, say, Duke, when one and dones are coming and going. It's difficult to really get a feel for how much you're going to fall in love with a player if you only get to watch them play one season and then perhaps an early upset in the tournament sends them home and they go to the NBA before you can blink an eye and you really don't get a chance to fall in love with that player. And just stepping back for a second, you know, ironic when you talk about the one and done that, you know, the great Coach K, the great educator, uh, has really now become the king of one and done right now, as we speak, he's taken the mantle uh, from coach Calipari. And as you know, your entire roster uh, heads to the NBA and will be replaced by uh, four of the top 10 recruits in the country uh, coming in. So uh, like, I can't John, blame him. Uh, like, like John Calipari, coach K is not rebuilding. He's reloading this year. I can't blame him for it based on his age based on how long it takes to cultivate that sort of team that he used to cultivate, that junior-senior-laden team that could win a national championship. He finally got the formula right a couple years ago and was able to win with three freshmen, three one-and-dones, and take a senior-laden quarterback with him, point guard, I should say, with him, playing the role of the quarterback for the team, and found success with it. And now at this point, I can't blame him for not wanting to put in the time that it takes to be able to grow a team, to grow a team like we saw Butler do for those seasons and to get to the national championship with veterans in college basketball. Yeah, the the, thing, t- the thing that remains about college basketball, which we're all waiting you know, to find out, is, is what, are the, what is the NBA going to do, if anything, uh, about the one-and-done scenario? Are they going to leave it alone? Are they going to change it to you can come right out, and if you don't, you got to stay two years uh, are they going to make it just like college baseball where you can come out or you got to stay three years? I seriously doubt that. Uh, but I think something has to be done where, uh, you know, if you want to go out of high school, you can go. Uh, to eliminate all this conversation about how the NCAA uh, is the one making all the money and the kids don't have a chance to make the money. And this is how you remedy that. You give the kids an instant opportunity to make the money. And then you will see, I think, an elimination of a lot of these complaints. But what you should also see, hopefully, is 
a smaller group of kids going because, uh, you know, uh, you know, the deal, the cream rises to the top. And when you have victims uh, that you will have by too many guys going, they will learn that, Hey, I'm not ready. I got to stay. So they wind up staying for at least two years and you get a better opportunity at the collegiate level to get ready for the pros. You get a better product at the collegiate level for us to watch and the coaches to coach because they have a little longer time to work with the kids. And then when they go into the NBA, you have at least, even if it's slightly more of a finished product for the NBA coaches to work with guys who hopefully instead of just sitting on the sidelines that first year and learning so much that they haven't learned in that second year in college uh, are able to make more of an impact and have learned a great deal more in that second year. As Al McGuire used to say, the best thing about a freshman is he's going to be a sophomore. So I'm hoping that something uh, along those lines comes soon. Um, you know, we've heard Jay Billis uh, wax poetic time and time again about all of his suggestions on what has to be done or what should be done. I certainly think the first thing that's got to happen is we've got to let the kids go directly into the NBA for those who can do it. And for those who aren't ready, uh, you should have to stay two years. That would be my position on it. I, I think that would result in a, you know, a beneficial scenario for both products uh, in the long run. I agree with both of those points, actually, because I think there are players that are capable of going straight from high school into the NBA. Look at Marvin, Marvin Bagley III, first of all. He reclassifies and gets into Duke earlier than he would have. So he's entering the NBA regardless at an age that's downright what he would be had he just left from high school, and we'll see how he's able to do at the next level. But what's fascinating to me and, and what's a good part of this, if there's any, is I've enjoyed Adam Silver as the commissioner of the NBA. I think he's a step ahead compared to other commissioners, compared to some of the major issues that they have to deal with in the NBA, I think he does a great job of listening, not only to the higher-ups and the people that he surrounded himself with, but to the players in the league who have opinions on what they think should be well, done, and he doesn't mind listening to them on it. I think that's only going to help in the future. I think also you have to give some credit to NBA ownership. Because remember who the NBA commissioner works for, just like the NFL commissioner, just like uh, the Major League Baseball commissioner. He works for the owners. Uh, I think the NBA owners are a much more diverse group than the old school, uh, good old boy NFL network of owners. Uh, we've seen this horror show uh, of the scenario with the kneeling and the national anthem, and President Trump. Uh, Basically, you know, setting down uh, a line and, and daring the owners to allow their players to step over it. Whereas in the NBA, nothing has come of it at all. Uh, there's been protests of treatment, uh, mistreatment of minorities uh, because of tragedies. And the NBA has stood behind their players. The NBA has allowed their players uh you know, forums, uh, whether it be LeBron James leading the way or uh, down in Miami, you know, with his old buddy, uh, you know, Mr. Wade, and they have really taken the mantle and gotten out there 
and gotten in front of it. And the owners have allowed their players to have their opinions and speak their minds, whether it's disagreeing with the president or whether it's not going to the White House, whatever the case may be. And you haven't heard owners say, boo, really uh, against their players. You haven't seen anything where there has been issues between owners and players, issues between labor and management. Right now in the NBA, they are of all the leagues, the one I believe in clearly the greatest shape and the best touch with reality and with their fan base. And it is really a diverse fan base. Uh, when you go to games, you see all different colors, you see all different shapes, you see all different sizes, and you see kids from six to grown-ups at 86. Uh, I don't know how some of these families afford it, to be honest with you, because the tickets are a fortune, but these buildings are full all the time. There's 40 of these dates a year, and if you look at the attendance around the league, and it doesn't matter where you look, I don't care if you look at Toronto or Milwaukee, or San Antonio, you know, or, or Memphis, the NBA tickets are the hottest tickets in town. And if you even look at the ticket attendance based on what player happens to be in town, it even goes higher than the higher number. When LeBron comes to town, when the Warriors come to town, there's personalities in the NBA that are almost must-see when they visit your city on top of continuing to still support the team that you support. It's incredible to see, and there was even a story the other day on the summer of LeBron starting it off, the beginning stories of what will happen if he leaves Cleveland, just how many millions of dollars and what he's brought to the economy of Cleveland since he decided to come back to the Cavaliers. The, the numbers are mind-numbing based on what something. he's been able to do. The, 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 guy, the two guys who are responsible for this, now you're probably too young to remember the, the, the man who, the commissioner who the, the trophy is named after, the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy. Mr. O'Brien probably saved the NBA in terms of, uh, he oversaw basically the rebirth of the NBA when it was in dire straits. Uh, Then came Commissioner Stern, who basically revolutionized the NBA and is responsible, I think, without a doubt for making it a, you know, the term growing the game that that is David Stern's in my mind, greatest achievement is he made the NBA a worldwide phenomenon. The dream team had a huge role in that. Absolutely positively, but that's all on David Stern's watch. He was a revolutionary He was a visionary in terms of what he saw because of the popularity of the game and the fact that basketball is played all over the world. And he realized that this is a game that is popular all over the world. It's played all over the world. We have the best players in the world. Let's take our players to the rest of the world and allow those foreign players to develop and come to us and bring them to us. And look at what's happened, as we just said. NBA popularity is off the charts. You know, look, okay, it's Golden State and Cleveland again. Well, it was the Lakers and the Celtics all the time. Right. You know, the people will make the argument that dynasties are good. Dynasties are great. You know, and you still have teams combating them to get there. Houston took them seven games. 
Houston took this great young juggernaut, seven games, uh, in the conference finals and had him down 3-2. Uh, you know, Cleveland was up against it against Indiana. They weren't the best team in the East this year. You know, Toronto was, and you know, they obviously get frightened at the side of LeBron, so they disappeared quickly. But the Celtics had him down 3-2 as well. So these teams didn't waltz to the finals. They worked to get to the finals. Um, Golden State's the best team. There's no doubt about it. They have that grouping of players that makes them the best team that they built through the great Jerry West and the draft. And I obviously added KG and free agency to really put them over the top. But the NBA is flying right now. The NBA is in a great place. And I could not agree with you more. Adam Silver has taken the mantle. And instead of resting on the laurels of where the league was, he's continuing to have it evolve to adapt to an ever-changing sports media market and an ever-changing society. And it really is to his credit. Well, we'll stick with the NBA and get into some of the storylines and put a bow on what those storylines ended up becoming at the end of the NBA Finals. To also put a bow on a bio for myself, if anyone happens to be interested or doesn't already know, to add to what Al said about himself, Five years spent as a sports editor for the Wyoming County Press Examiner in Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania, the prestigious WCPE, as I used to like to refer to it to, where I got to cover high school and college sports, as well as alumni and all sorts of different platforms, to minor league baseball, to assistant coach with the Seattle Seahawks winning a Super Bowl over my Broncos, unfortunately, but I got to try on the Super Bowl ring at least, so there was that. It, that made it feel a little bit better. But how, how, how disgustingly gaudy was that ring? It was very much so, but as I told the gentleman, John Glenn, who has the ring, it was deserved for both the final score, which still pains me to think about, when you're at a Super Bowl party and you can thoroughly start moving toward enjoying the halftime show and the food because the game itself is already decided. That's not what you necessarily want when you're rooting for the team on the losing end. But it was loud. That's a good way to describe it, loud. But based on the defense and based on the score, hey, and based on beating Peyton Manning, put whatever you want on the ring. And they had inscriptions and, and all sorts of little digs all over it. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to at least put it on and that erased some pain from that Super Bowl. But getting a chance to cover high school and collegiate sports and sports that I didn't play nor knew anything about and having to learn about them has definitely helped broaden some horizons as well as listening to sports radio. Became a fan of Mad Dog Sports Radio a couple years ago. Of course, heard Al calling into several shows like Chris Russo's Mad Dog Unleashed and The Morning Men. Made some contacts at Falcon, the first one, with the Morning Men, and then worked through meeting some other people throughout the years, and eventually somehow wound myself working for Sirius XM, now with ACC Today as part of the new college conference channels as the associate producer, with the great Tony Skaggs, Chris Patola, and Jack Collinsworth as the host. Jack sounds exactly like a Collinsworth, and football fans will know what I mean by that. And it's been great to get a foot in the door and, and try to build that channel up from the ground up. Also doing this show on the side, and upon from hearing Al call in and hearing his knowledge on sports, thought, 
doing the Bridge Sports Podcast. I need another show that's mostly sports instead of just interviews of sports media. And here we are. So we're doing this show, and hopefully we can continue to watch that grow as well, and people will enjoy what we have to rant about. And we can start by ranting about the NBA, which was everyone's favorite topic for the past several months, and will continue to be so because, as you mentioned, to start the show... We're in another summer of LeBron. <laughs> I don't even know what number we're at now, but we're back. Five, six, I don't even know what the number is now. But he will be the talking point at least until the next couple of weeks when he has to decide whether he will stay or whether he will go, to quote a band, The Clash. And we'll know a little bit more once he decides that. But even when he decides that, it'll still be who will he play with? what pieces will have to join him, what will make him happy. But to start with the LeBron discussion, I wanted to turn back the clocks to the finals, and we know he's been chasing six, or at least the public and the media has wanted him to chase six to catch Michael Jordan's six, and he has reached a six, but unfortunately it's in the loss column of appearances in the NBA finals not being able to win a championship. Something for me has changed with LeBron James when it comes to his legacy, when it comes to how much these losses matter. And I don't know whether it's because I view him less as a villain than I did when he went to the Heat. I think for me, he switched a little bit more to an appreciation to really enjoy what he does as a player and what he's able to do with the team that he has instead of with Miami being like, this, this is the worst decision ever. I hope he doesn't win anything. Now having to go up against the Warriors, I've softened a little bit. So this loss this year, based on everything that it had to do with it, even though it was a sweep, for whatever reason it didn't really hit me as hard as I thought it would, and I really didn't put much red paint on his legacy if, if people want to go into that direction that I thought I would. And I'm curious to see what you thought about the end result of the NBA Finals, if it was predictable, if it affects anything on his end as well. Well, you know, it, I, I thought they would win a game. Uh, I didn't. I, no, I wasn't shocked by a sweep, uh, to say the least. Um, I thought they might win a game. Um, he is. He's. He's a tremendous. Obviously, we all know he's a tremendous player. I mean, people more on to think otherwise. I, I just think there are certain things that happen or don't happen in certain spots. You know that that you know, help keep him from having a chance to be the greatest player of all time. And some of it is his mindset. Some of it is what he does or doesn't do. Um, Golden State is the better team. There's no doubt about that. But all we heard in game one was the brilliant effort and, and the 51 points. You know, J.R. Smith taking all the blame for the loss uh, when it really should, far more of it should have been heaped upon George Hill for missing the free throw. Uh, and if it was somebody else who did that, they wouldn't have gotten nearly as much flack as J.R. Smith. But because it's J.R. Smith... Uh, he takes probably a lot more heat than he should have because, uh, you know, they weren't behind. They still had a chance to win the game. We don't know what he would have done if he'd gone up and shot against KD. But regardless, that's water under the bridge. But my point is, has and always will be, this notion of, you know, he made the right basketball play by throwing the ball to George Hill when George Hill made a backdoor cut, drew the foul. You know, LeBron James had 49 points at that point. LeBron James had Steph Curry on him. 18 feet from the basket. Take the shot. I, I agree. I, I want LeBron James 
having one of his greatest shooting nights in his lifetime that I have ever seen in a big spot to either take Steph Curry to the rack all right, and draw contact or dish off a double team or pull up from 17 and shoot the shot. I don't want, you know, if George Hill's wide open for a dunk, you know, this is not Kobe lobbing the ball to Shaq. All right. This is not Michael flipping the ball to a wide, wide, wide open teammate, whether it be, you know, whichever bull you want to name, all right? uh, you know, the now GM or you know, of the Bulls or the now coach of Golden State, whichever one of the shooters you want it to be. All right. This is not even Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson's most famous play in his illustrious career was the junior junior skyhook. And if you run the replay and if you listen to the interviews, especially Kareem and watch it, what did he do? Magic Johnson went to the hole down one against the Celtics in Boston Garden. And he had Kevin McHale, Larry Bird and Robert Parrish all come at him. And he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar the greatest scorer in the history of the sport, six championships, wide open under the basket for a little hook pass and a dunk, and he still took the shot. My rap on LeBron James, take the shot. He didn't. It's not his fault that George Hill got fouled and missed the free throw, but Kobe Bryant shooting the ball. Michael Jordan in that spot is not throwing the ball to George Hill. Magic Johnson is doing something better. So is Larry Bird. If it's Kevin McHale for a dunk or Robert Parrish for a dunk, that's one thing. But it's George Hill on a backdoor pass, who by the time he got it, was already fouled and had to go shoot free throws. He wasn't that wide open. He had to be fouled by Thompson. And as a result, they go into overtime. They lose game one and basically the series. Because once they lost game one, series over. And... Then you, you you had Curry and KD taking turns, uh, you know, in the argument of who was MVP. I thought Curry was brilliant in game one. It's the best big game I've ever seen him play. I thought he was the most important player on the floor. Uh, I thought he was the reason that they won game one. Uh, I thought he should have won the MVP despite the awful game he had in game uh, three. I believe it was game three when KD carried him. Right. and dragged him across the line. Uh, you could make the argument for either one. I would have given my MVP vote to Curry. Uh, and it showed the difference between the two teams. Uh, you know, as time evolves, the longer you play, the more the better team has a chance to win. The more minutes that are played, uh, the more games that are played, the harder it is for the lesser team to win. Their best shot was in game one. Uh, once they didn't get that done, you pretty much had a feeling the series was over. Well, then their best player had a broken hand, or almost broken hand, as we found well, out. Well, of course, we didn't know about that until suddenly after game four, he comes to the press conference with a cast. I mean, are you kidding me? Well, that's, I mean, that's my gripe Please. as a, I don't want to call myself someone in sports media, because, I mean, I, I can't uh, hold a candle to some of the stuff that the people in, in NBA media do covering these finals and covering these players. But we know off the top of our head that there's three or four reporters whose main job it is to basically follow LeBron James around and make sure that we know every move that he makes on or off the basketball court. And two come to mind that people know from ESPN, Brian Windhorst, Dave McMiniman. There's Jason Lloyd, who I believe now writes for The Athletic. 
and there's a handful of others. But those are the ones that we see. Brian Windhorst is always on ESPN. Dave McMiniman, the same for the latest on LeBron James. And we always joke, too, what will these guys do when LeBron retires? <laughs> will they be able to hop onto another player, or will they have to find another career just because they've been able to cover the best player in the world currently? For me to believe that they didn't know that he had something wrong with his hand, when we hear reports of, well, he was limping to the locker room after this game, or he slept for this long, or he ate this, or we saw him doing that in warm-ups, nobody knew he had this broken hand for a week. I find that very hard to believe, and I find that more of a 1950s-esque style reporting, which I love, by the way, when reporters used to be able to go to the bar and sit next to Joe DiMaggio, and he would tell them what he tell them, and they would know what to write. They would keep the off-the-field stuff in another binder, and they would keep the on-the-field stuff in the newspaper. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with off the field friendship. In 2018, if, though, if, you can't do that. It's a different Winhorst world. Mc, if Winhorst or McMenamin knows, you know, it, it could easily have been a scenario where LeBron says, "Look, you know, I, I made your career. I can break it." Oh, absolutely. And don't okay. let the this, other this, team know I have this, this weakness. This, this stays between us, or you're never getting another story. So, what are you going to do? You going right. to tell the story? It's difficult. It's difficult because I, I have a feeling. He might have spoken to him, LeBron that is, or they just knew not to report it. But for all of a sudden, 10 minutes after the game, we're going live with SVP, this breaking news that his hand was basically broken, and then we find out he has the cast on when they break to the press conference. Everybody knew, and and they didn't want to say anything, which, again, is fine, but you can't play the other side. It's it's just a little too... It just seems like it's always something. Right. It's always something. And that's part of, to me, the reason why he can never be the greatest player of all time. It's always something. He's able to control the narrative. Not only himself, but with the reporters. Right. But it's one thing he can't control. He can't control the final score. He hasn't been able to. He hasn't been able to get over that hump. Hasn't figured that out yet. Even though I, I recognize what an incredible player he is. He's got his three. He could easily be one and eight in these finals. He could easily be one and eight. If not for a Ray Allen three off two LeBron bricks in Miami against San Antonio in game six, where they are done, buried. The people have Elvis has left. They've left the building. The trophy is out. Ready to go. They they have left the building. They can't even get back in. All right. Uh, They're ready to go down. Series over. Instead, Ray Allen makes the three. They win an OT. Uh, they win a tight game seven. Uh, to their credit, they won it. He won it. And then, obviously, you know, the Draymond Green suspension played a huge role in that championship. Again, to his credit, they won it. But uh, if not for a couple of good breaks, uh, he's one and eight in all probability in nine finals. Uh, and, and he's Jerry West, who I believe was always was going. I think Jerry West was one and seven. Uh, in, right. in eight finals. Well, he, he's um, also the literal face of the NBA. So he does that. He's the logo. He does he's that. The, and, and the greatest GM in the history of the sport. That's true, so, too. Uh, may, maybe the greatest career from beginning to end, which is still going on in the history of the NBA uh, as player and as front office executive. So um, now 
I ask you, what was your choice uh, for MVP of the finals? I would have went with Durant just because I don't think you can have a game three like Steph did. And he did make clutch shots in that game. People forget that he did make a three and a two at very crucial times in game three to help them get over the small hump that there might have been. I think Kevin Durant was just there for for all four games and did carry them in one. Steph did have an immaculate game one, and I would rather give it to him just because I I like him more in the Warriors than Kevin Durant, obviously, as, as many people feel that way as well. I just found it hard to erase game three. Now, if they had a game five, Odds are it would have gone to Steph because I don't think he would have had another game three. I think it would have been closer to him having another game one. But and since that, it was now, just the four, I would have went with KD. That leaves us to uh, the, the, the pressing matter, the, the question for the summer. Number one, do you think he's going to opt out, he being, of course, uh, LeBron? Because that's the first hurdle uh, that has to be cleared before we continue with the summer of LeBron. I think what's fascinating about LeBron James, and this is totally fine as a player, and he's almost done it a little bit quietly, is that I I think he goes to play with X team and X players don't necessarily come to play with him. And I'm not saying that he has it as bad as, say, Kobe Bryant rumorly had where nobody wanted to go play with Kobe toward the end of his career. LeBron isn't at the stage where Kobe might have been. I guess you could look at it that way. But he went to Miami to play with Dwayne Wade. He came back to Cleveland. Kyrie Irving was already there. And even though he was very young and still is a younger player, he was something that you could build a team around in a sense and someone who could be the second in command and could carry the Cavs if LeBron couldn't. And we saw that happen when they won the NBA Finals. Who hits the dagger exactly. in, in Golden the State? It's Kyrie. Not, the game-winning shot was not made by LeBron. I mean, Jackson. people are arguing for Kyrie to have his jersey retired in Cleveland, and now there's an argument, of course, because Colin Sexton took the number two when he right. just got drafted by Cleveland. So some fans aren't too happy that they're already forgetting about Kyrie. But there's not a lot of players that I can remember that have said, I want to play with LeBron. I'm leaving to go play with LeBron. We hear young players say that, of course, but they're not as established as some veterans are where they think, I need to go play with LeBron James. Chris Chris Bosh didn't want to go to Cleveland. Right. And go to Miami. He was already already at Miami. So perfect. But he he didn't want to play with Dwayne Wade. And you could say Kevin Love, but. I don't put him at the caliber of some of the other free agents that have the opportunity to potentially go to Cleveland. Remember that that's remember that's a trade. Right. You know, Chris Bosch was a free agent. He did not want to go to Cleveland. I told LeBron, you want to go to Cleveland. Now we're gonna put that on the owner, we're gonna put that on the city. Right. So the all problem that said, with the, the, the problem with LeBron that he creates as much as you want to play with a player like him, is that you never know how long you're gonna get a chance to play exactly. with him. Exactly. Because you never know what he's going to do or what his mindset's going to be. So anywhere, you know, I, look, I have no idea. But don't, don't we all like some level in our lives of control, some notion, at least a little bit in, in what we do of consistency and an understanding of I'm going to be here tomorrow 
or the next year. With LeBron, you, you never, it's a constant state of flux. If I had to put money on it, I would say that he leaves. Just okay. because of the previous point. Right, so, of, so, so, so you, you are answering in the positive that you think he's going to opt out, step right. one. I, I think it will be him going to play with players instead of player, players going to play with him. And I think what helps that is he tried to, and I, I don't know how much voice he had in the decisions that were made in the middle of the season with Cleveland, where he, he seemingly was playing pouty and didn't like the way things were going. So then some trades happened, and we ended up with the team we saw in the NBA Finals, and players were shipped out, players were brought in. I don't know if that was actually him doing it, if, if the GM was going behind his back and, and doing it himself. I know they don't like each other at all. I would have a hard time believing that LeBron didn't have a say of what the Cavs team was when we saw them in the finals. I would think that he had a hand in most of it, if not all of it. That said, he tried doing that. He tried to be the quote-unquote GM, and it didn't work. I can't see him staying in Cleveland and trying to do that again, trying to not only lure players to come, also have to convince management, even though they've been perfectly okay with spending as much money as he would want to get players to join him. I think for him, it might be easier to just join another team that's already semi-established or established and go from there. Well, then question number two to you, my young friend and partner, is does he stay in the East? Because if so... There aren't many venues that are established for him to go to. Not that any place he went wouldn't become an instant contender to win the conference title, but the goal is to win championships. Easier to get to the finals from the East, as we know. Uh, would he dare go West and try and unseat Golden State just to get to the finals? Knowing that the obstacles are Golden State, Houston, um, we'll see what happens with San Antonio an ever improving Minnesota team. Uh, we know what, what a war of attrition the West is. Does he dare go there when he spent his whole career cruising around the East and basically picking the franchise that he thinks has the best chance with him on it to go to the NBA finals, never having to deal with the rigors of the NBA Western conference. It's hard for me to think that he would go, say there's three teams right now that people would love for him to go or throw out. We have Boston and the Sixers, just because they're up and coming. They were great in the East this year. We know all that. And even though Toronto was the best team, we know what happens when they play the Cavaliers. So it would be really funny to see him go to Toronto. It, it would be the complete opposite of can beat him, join him, where they just get the player that they could never beat and see what they can do. I, I, I think that Hilarious. would be absolutely hysterical. And if he went to I don't think they would be half bad, to be honest with you, because they have great players that get forgotten about. We can put it that way. They do have great players, but they get forgotten about because when they play Cleveland, they really disappear. make themselves that way. They disappear, exactly. But Boston and, and Philadelphia are so young. Can he afford to wait for them to grow into what their potential can be? And I think in three years at max... They're going to be really good teams if they can keep everyone that they have. And we already saw what Boston was able to do without two of their best players. But where is he going to fit into that team if he goes to Boston? Do you think Kyrie is going to be happy to have no. LeBron follow him there? Yeah, He'll ask out and, and run down the road. Yeah. 
Gordon Hayward's going to have to learn to play with LeBron James after not really having anything close to that of a superstar with Utah. That's a year that's going to have to take because remember what happened when he went to Miami. It took a year of gelling, of getting used to that sort of team before they really hit their stride. I don't know if he can afford to take that time, just like I don't know if he can afford to take that time to go to Los Angeles unless players come with him. As the Lakers stand now, I enjoy their young qualities. I enjoy the potential to watch them grow into a great team. I'm fearful if he goes to L.A. that they're going to put down the guillotine and get rid of at least half of the core that they have of young talent to bring in who LeBron wants and who he might need to win. And we've seen that before in L.A. Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, Carl Malone, Gary Payton. Sometimes that stuff happens and it's like, I don't think you're going to see the Lakers and Magic Johnson make the same mistake about bringing in older, injured players on the backside of their career. Right. Let's hope not. To appease LeBron or otherwise. Uh, They've tried that and it simply didn't work. Um, All of that, unfortunately, was a result of the one bad thing uh, that I will always accuse the commissioner of, Mr. Stern, in uh, vetoing the Chris Paul trade. Uh, Still haven't gotten over that myself. I'll never get over it. I'll never get over it. Uh, because there would have been so much that would have been different, but that's for another day. Um, do I want to see, as a Laker fan, being a huge Kobe Bryant fan, five championships, do I ever want to see LeBron catch Kobe in titles selfishly? No. Do I want to see him carpet bag his, well in, his way into L.A. and win titles? Frankly, no. So I've got a dilemma. If he decides to go to the Lakers, he won't go alone. Uh, Whether George comes with him, uh, I I just, for the life of me, can't see Popovich ever pulling the trigger on a trade with the Lakers uh, for Kawhi Leonard. I I just, I don't see it. I I can't believe he would do it. They have the ammo uh, to do it, but I just, I simply don't think that, I don't think they trade him in the conference, quite frankly. Um, So you you're looking at LeBron and maybe Paul George if he does decide to leave OKC. That's a good start to go with what they already have. Randall, who is getting better all the time uh, and really made a huge leap this year. Um, hopefully not a sophomore jinx uh, for the kid from Utah, Kyle Kuzma, who had a really, really excellent rookie year. Uh, Ingram, I thought, improved but seems to be constantly borne by the injury bug. It always seems to be something with him in terms of, you know, Knicks uh, for a young player, very talented. Um, Then obviously you have the father and son issue of, uh, uh, you know, Lonzo, who I think has a chance to be a really good player, but again, some bugaboos. You hate to see when guys are hurt this young, missing this many games. Does LeBron want to deal with his old man? Does anybody want to deal with his old man? His old man's a pain in the ass. He never shuts up. Is LeBron enough to shut him up? You would think it would. Be. You would think if anybody can shut him up, LeBron James can shut him up and have him stand down. But that remains to be seen. Does he want to deal with that? I think the team you brought up a minute ago, I, I think the more that I look at it, I think Philly is a distinct possibility. I really do. And based on how he's interacted with the players on the court, at least, there's not a lot of hatred there. And granted, we didn't get to see them go at it in games that matter in the postseason. LeBron doesn't really take any prisoners when it comes to postseason games, as he shouldn't. You shouldn't really 
treat anybody as great friends, and and he has enough rivalries around the league. He but, doesn't burn any. He doesn't burn any bridges. Right, that's true too. But I, I think Philly would be the team that could get rid of players here and there that you wouldn't necessarily hate. Like if they got rid of Fultz, it's like okay, we lost our number one draft pick. He never panned out. Why couldn't he remember how to shoot? Oh, no. But we got LeBron James, who will play with Embiid and who play with Simmons. I think if they keep that as the big three, quote, unquote, keep J.J. Redick as somebody that LeBron can pass the ball out to at the three-point line and assume he'll make that open shot, get one other person, now we're talking. And now you've got a villain in the East, a true villain, because I don't think Cleveland kept that moniker after Kyrie left this year. They were I didn't really view them as a villainous team in the East. Boston kind of became that a little bit, but they were too young to really take it on full throttle. And I disagree with this notion that he can't play or Simmons he can't play with Simmons or Simmons can't play with LeBron because Simmons needs the ball too much. I could see LeBron uh and that's always a part of the problem I have in terms of the description of LeBron, of you know, the greatest player of all time. It's in, when you throw up all his numbers, it's, you know, I, I've never seen a time of possession statistic in the NBA, but if he doesn't lead the NBA in time of possession with the ball, I would be shocked. He's got the ball all the time. Right. And I could see him in terms of trying to lengthen his career and play more minutes in these games and not wear down um, in a situation where he's going to give up some possession of the ball if he has confidence in a guy who he can tutor, who he knows has the skill and has the mindset to defer. That's what Simmons is. Simmons is a guy who constantly defers. I don't know if it's because he can't shoot or if it's more the mindset of his game, but I could see a scenario where he puts himself in a situation there where he has enough confidence in this kid because of his skill set and his size where he spends a lot more time down in the box creating mismatches and playing off the ball instead of with it. And it's the next step uh, in the evolving or the evolution of LeBron. Uh, I, I could see Philly. I could see it. Absolutely. would be what he did in Miami, but like twofold, even more so than Miami, where he didn't always have the ball in Miami. D-Wade was able to do his thing. Now a similar role, but he'll still have an important one if he were to go off the ball as we're talking and, about and, remember, and go to the post. Da- remember, down in Miami, he did not spend a lot of time in the low post. Right, right. He didn't uh, have he that was, part of When he was game, off yeah. the ball, he was in other spots. Uh, he was either going to the basket uh, on lobs, uh, on the wing, uh, creating off the catch and dribble instead of getting down, posting up, and he has now developed a post-up game. So I, I, I could clearly see uh, that being uh, a possibility and a distinct possibility. I, I don't. You know, Houston obviously is the other main one that I that I see. Uh, if you want to attack Golden State. Uh, if championships instantly don't matter, then, then L.A. is the place. You know, we read and hear constantly about the schools and the houses and the business interests, etc. So that's the obvious choice. But, you know, he's got to know that going to L.A., no matter what comes with him and or what's already there, 
you know, at, at, at best, you're taking a not backseat, but, you know, quite a ways in the rearview mirror, at least right now, of the Warriors. But I said when, in, in the preseason that I thought he was going to stay, regardless of what happened this year. So I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm, I'm going to say he's going to stay. Well, this is going to wrap up the inaugural show, and we'll know what LeBron will decide to do by show two. So how's that for a tease? All eyes will be on him to decide if he will opt in or opt out, and we will go from there. Since it, you, know, you are in the business, officially, literally, etc. Wow. Will, will we have the 24-hour clock like we have for the draft, like we have for the suit? Will we have the 24-hour clock counting down on ESPN? as we lead up to the day of reckoning? I'll say 98%. Okay. 98%. And SportsCenter and, and the shows will be dedicated to it on the day of. Not a question. All Stephen A. all the time. Of course. And whatever <laughs> other show we can get our hands on, they'll, they'll have complete coverage. We won't just have to worry thought, about not knowing. Just when you thought you haven't seen enough of Brian Winters. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're going to see our friends. Brian and Dave will be back on the screen again to let us know the latest. So we'll be back at it next week. We'll dive into a lot more things, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the initial conversation. I know I did, and we'll keep everything up to date the best we can and give our opinions on whatever's happening in sports next week. Until then, Al, it's a pleasure. John, great being with you. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.